0: From 88.7 FM, WXDU Durham, and available via podcast on the World Wide Web, this is Shooting the Bull, your weekly survey of what's happening in the Bull City, brought to you by the voices of the Durham blogosphere. The opinions expressed on this program belong to the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect those of WXDU or Duke University.
1: Good evening, folks. I'm Kevin Davis with BullCityRising.com.
0: I'm Barry Reagan. I write at dependableerection.blogspot.com. Welcome to Shooting the Bull for Thursday, June 18th.
1: Barry, it's been, uh, been a long week, turning into a hot and humid one here in, uh, in the Bull City.
0: It's been a long week for everybody, I think. You know, And you know
1: why? Why? Because half the people we rely on to get our things done are out of town this week. <laughs> Darn them! Darn them! Yeah, it's it, this is definitely in the heart of of uh, summer vacation season. We're doing we're doing four people's jobs every every time we turn around. It's like I'm doing
0: somebody else's job, and I know you know it's the same thing for you,
1: Barry. I, I'm trying to imagine you working. It's, it's a it's a hard thing to picture. Uh, folks, you'll have to uh, you'll have to come by my uh, my office sometime, Kevin. Absolutely, I'll show you around. folks. It's it's good to be with you here on, on WXDU tonight. We are uh, here, uh, uh, Barry and I, catching up on what's happening around town. We'll talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, a couple of, of controversial development projects at different ends of the spectrum, from uh, a debate over a uh, new, new potential uh, high school site in West Durham uh, to the just-opened Walmart in Northeast Durham. And, Barry, we also have a, a special guest tonight to talk with us about uh, the uh, bike program Bi- that's Bikes near and dear to the dear world.
0: world. Bikes for the World, which uh, which I donated all my extra bikes to last year. I don't really have a bike to donate this year, but uh, hopefully uh, we will give you the information and uh, you folks will be able to participate in this program as well. So we'll get to that uh, um, before the end of the program. But, uh, uh, Kevin, you were down um, down uh, uh, off of Irwin Road earlier this week for, uh, for the big meeting. Um, you said, uh, I think you said 150-plus people. I thought I read one report that said 300 people might have turned out for this meeting to uh, to discuss the
1: sighting of the new Durham Public Schools High School. Uh, yeah, Barry, the the count is actually an interesting question. I, I counted just based on number of people in seats, multiplication. Organizers said it was closer to two to 300. They could very well be right because by the time I made it to the meeting, there was already a huge line outside of the room at the elementary school. I mean, this was... This was just a tremendous turnout for this issue. Um, basically, there is a proposal from Durham Public Schools, and it's been in the works for a number of years um, to take Jordan and Riverside, the two most popular high schools in Durham, both of which have have neared or gone over fifteen hundred students, and to create. I think th-
0: they're both well over fifteen hundred students at this point. Kevin. One
1: is, and I think Jordan is 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 pretty high. D- Riverside is close to two um, <clears> thousand. But in any case, to take uh, these two schools. And create basically a third Western Durham high school, and they're looking at land in the Duke Forest area, west of Duke University. So they would basically pull from more central Durham areas uh, and send high school students to this school. So somewhere down uh, Irwin Road, uh, Cornwallis Road corridor. At one point, uh, the
0: Pinehurst Candle Shop um, land was under discussion, but I guess that uh, the parcel of land that we're particularly talking about now is not that parcel of land. It's Correct, a Duke forest piece of land,
1: perhaps. Further down Cornwallis, and it apparently actually is part of Duke Forest, it's actually Duke Research Land, which is one of the reasons that area has remained remained forested, is the amount of space Duke owns. Uh, Apparently, they had looked at everything from land by the traffic circle off Irwin, which was considered too sensitive by Duke. Uh, Duke apparently, and again, this is all according to uh, the organizer, or one of the organizers of the Irwin Cornwallis Organization, as they're calling themselves. ECO. The ECO. I, I don't know where they came up with that. Um, but a co- actually, that's the first step.
0: That's the first step in forming an effective organization. Is a good acronym. So, you know,
1: give them props for uh, for coming up with one of those. <laughs> so they uh, they they came up with this, and they uh, uh, have been pushing uh, against the development of the site. They claim that uh, Duke was actually threatened with eminent domain by the school system over this parcel if they didn't give up this Erwin Cornwallis parcel. Who knows what the the real story is there? Uh, Duke reportedly, again, according to the organizers offered a parcel off Duke Homestead Road uh, north of the Costco the concern there and this is where things start to get interesting Barry is that was described as one mile too far east for Durham Public Schools to be interested in so okay nor- north of, of Costco So off between um,
0: guess and uh, guess and Duke. yeah yeah uh, um, I hadn't I hadn't I'll be honest I had not heard anything about that um, that particular site that seems like it's um, reasonably close to Riverside High School
1: well, I think that's one of the questions you know. is apparently DPS wanted it to be on the Western District to avoid pulling from Northern. And this was one of the questions that Catherine Myers, a former school board member, right. frankly, was, was pretty blunt and, and open about. There's a there's a video of it up on my blog that I think is, is worth watching where what she basically says is, is the elephant in the room in all this, the elephant number one, is that. Hillside and Southern are not considered schools of choice because of the challenges they have, which is really due to the levels of poverty seen in the school. So you have overcrowded, quote-unquote, popular schools, which are really wealthy schools, and DPS's desire to keep those current campuses intact and just create a third school to overflow off of them, even though you've got space at Northern, Hillside, and, and, uh, and uh, Southern, and the solution there would be redistricting, throwing people from Jordan and, uh, and Riverside into those uh, in those zones and you know she referred to these these wars that happened 20 years ago when they went to create riverside and people were split out of, of jordan in the first place i mean it's a uh it's it's the 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 underside of the politics that you just don't hear about much in Durham.
0: I wonder how many of those folks are the same folks who were at the meeting last night? Who you know, if they have children, would be um, folks who are potentially being redistricted.
1: You know, I wanted to ask the question, Barry, during the the Q and A period of asking the room by a show of hands, how many of them would would trade not getting a new high school for being redistricted to Hillside? Right. I I, right. I I mean, not to be too cynical. I mean, and, and and I'm not trying to impugn the the motives of those who were there because obviously they care passionately about this issue. But you know this this comes down to these divides we always talk about in Durham.
0: Well, it's funny. I you know I was reading the comments on your blog, um, and and I I wrote about this when it first surfaced um, three or four months ago, and I have not written about uh, about this this week. I didn't go to the meeting, so I don't have any any real new insights in 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 this. But I, I thought that the comment the commenters on your blog were split fairly evenly, and maybe even um, a greater percentage thinking that this was a pretty good idea. Um, uh, and, and not a bad idea. And my point um, several months ago was there's an opportunity here for some real outside-the-box thinking. You know, there are, I, I think there are three or four, when I did the research a couple of months ago, three or four sustainable agriculture, ecological science magnet high schools in the country, and only one of them east of the Mississippi, and I think that's in Vermont. Shocking. There's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to create a program like that in this area, drawing upon Duke Forest, drawing upon the sustainable agriculture movement in Orange and Chatham counties, and, and it would be conveniently located. And if you do it right, you know, because I understand the state has all these requirements about how much parking there has to be at a high school and how big the athletic fields have to be. And if you can get waivers for those, you know, and have the parking off site and have people take a bus, even, you know, the administrators, the faculty, and the students take a bus from, say, the parking lot over at, oh, I don't know, South Square. Or, or something like that, which is actually only about a mile or a mile and a half from, from the site that we're talking about. Uh, th- there are ways to do this that meet a number of the objections and turn it into a win-win situation. But I only hear a couple of people talking about that. I understand Becky Herron has already said that um, uh, what this idea is, quote, unquote, insane. You know, that's that's Commissioner Herron's perspective on it. I well, think she, a, she has one of five votes about how much money the school district gets
1: that's, <laughs> from that's the very county true. for this. So, Although she was also know. she was also speaking out very strongly against the um, Scott King Road Middle School site, which is also again on the far periphery of Durham, um, and eventually ended up coming around. And again, that comes back to this question of well, why are we building schools on the periphery? You know, people would say let's build it, let's build it downtown, let's get it with a with a diverse school population. I agree with that. I think that's the right decision. But you know yeah. what? Get families to send their kids to those schools. Right. You know, if we don't solve these underlying problems, that that are not just in Durham, they're in every diverse community in this country. You know, places like Cary don't have these problems because they're rich. You you well, have to be this rich they are, to,
0: to live there. They're they're more uniformly wealthy. Yes, exactly. You know, they don't have the they don't have the the schism between, you know, wealth and poverty that, um, that exists in
1: Durham. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the other thing, Barry, that, that I, I, is kind of a head-scratcher for me, and I don't know the history of the land west of fifteen five hundred one very well, obviously a lot of it's controlled by, by Duke. But a couple of the other interesting things that came up in the meeting were, number one, the concern that a school couldn't go there because there's too many schools there already. Apparently there are seven private schools in the vicinity of Irwin and Cornwallis. Uh, Duke School is building their new campus and have plans for um, actually building a, uh, a high school out there at some point. Um, DA's expanded in that area, apparently, with a new, with some new campuses. There's the Hill School. There's uh, Trinity School. So it, it's already an area that has a substantial number of schools, which is you know, probably a... a a challenge from a traffic perspective, but it was also listed as a problem to build there because so many Chapel Hillians commute that way to Duke Hospital each day and back, you couldn't possibly put a school in there for, for traffic for Durham. I mean, it's, there, were, there were some interesting conundrums all throughout it. The biggest one to me being this question, again, back to my own naivete about the history of, of the site, that there, the, the, the sprawl flag was raised. And I, I, have a, I have the toughest time with this one because they're two miles from Duke Hospital and Duke's campus. It's an, it's an area that if, if you wanted, if Duke Forest weren't an issue, if you wanted to have short commutes, if you wanted to have the ability of people to live close to where they work, you do a lot better with that in West Durham than you do in Cary, than you do in Apex, Holly Springs. There's a lot of people who drive 55 every day to get up there.
0: Right. For a, for a lot of people, and, and you know we, we were talking about this before, from, from my perspective, sprawl sprawl is when you move in to my neighborhood. <laughs> when I live here, it's a bucolic you know, idyllic rural setting. But once you move in, now you're creating sprawl. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I, I can tell you this: um, was It was a two years ago, two and a half years ago, when the um, uh, the Irwin Neighbor um, project started, when the Pickett Road parcel of land was uh, was up for sale. And folks were raising money to buy it and keep it as undeveloped, pristine parkland. I was a big supporter of that, mm-hmm. and I felt that um, you know what what had happened around the Eno River thirty years ago, keeping that land from development, really created um, a, a character for Durham that we would not have had. Had that land been developed, had the Eno loop gone in, had all those things happened, Durham would be a very, very different place. And I saw the same thing um, off of Irwin and, and Pickett Road um, with that land down there, and I supported that becoming a, park, uh, a, a parkland. And, you know, it hasn't been developed good. I haven't seen any moves towards turning it into truly usable parkland yet, but I assume that that will be coming down the road once our budgets um, allow for that. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not necessarily seeing that. Um, with a with with the opposition to the high school, uh, I'm sure that people are going to make the same arguments that they made for turning you know the the picket road part parcel into a park um, as they' are going to make to not develop a high school there but for me i'm I'm just not seeing it and it's not uh, it's not that convincing to me yet
1: yeah i I'll say this it it was it's a very well organized group. they were talking about the advantage of, of sending uh, paper letters over emails uh distributed a four page you know action plan handout with all the email addresses down to the outgoing and incoming uh, board of trustee chairs at duke to try and convince duke not to sell not to cave i you don't get a you know, th- this group probably had more phds in the room than you'd get at your typical universe you know small small liberal arts college uh th- this is a group that's 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 wealthy that's motivated that has social social capital and you know one of the other interesting questions to me is what you know how, how organized are the folks in duke homestead road going to be it's this this idea of let's let's put the high school in their neighborhood has the potential to, to, to be kind of kind of challenging. In a way it's too bad that that, that apartment uh, plan for the area between Hillendale and Guess is going through as it is. That might have been a fantastic site close to the interstate. It'd be nice if you could find a, a, a parcel that's that's slated for denser development to do this kind of work on. But uh, and, again, I don't, I don't mean to disparage the concerns of those who are advocating on this, but it's, it, it, it's one of these points that sort of like when we first talked a couple of years ago about the 751 assemblage, right. um, one of these points that has these, these class and wealth uh, tensions around development – that get to be so interesting.
0: And um, I, I assume that next week we will talk some more uh, or, or maybe the week after about the 751 assemblage, which has also been in the news uh, this week. Uh, apparently there's a lawsuit being uh, being filed by the developers against the county. Uh, Matt Saldana had a pretty good piece in, uh, uh, in, in The Independent um, this week explaining uh, so far what we know uh, about the suit, but uh, we will know more um, in the future and, and we will revisit that issue as mm-hmm. uh, as new details become available I wanna um, take a, a moment to remind folks that uh, you're listening to shooting the bull on WXDU I'm Barry Reagan
1: I'm Kevin Davis
0: and uh, Kevin you were uh, you were up at Walmart I hear
1: <laughs> yeah this is <this, laughs> uh, the new Walmart I did I did promise that we'd, we'd get to the other half of, of development this week so on a lark Wednesday morning I uh, finished the blogging a little early I uh, had, had seen that the new Walmart on Glen School Road the Stuper center was gonna open up at 730 in the morning and decided to drive up there. I was expecting... I was actually thought, you may know, they'll be the first person in the store. It might be something kind of fun. Um, the parking lot was completely packed. Yeah, they hadn't opened at midnight the night before? Because no, Walmart they, tends to do that a lot. They opened at 7.30 in the morning. Okay. And okay. in fairness, there were a lot of manufacturers, reps and things in, in there. So, you know, price some rental cars. But mm-hmm. there were... The the store was absolutely packed. So I'm assuming then that the parking lot that they have built is already too small
0: and, and that a larger parking lot is going to have to be uh, be created eh. for that area. Nah, that was the, wa- it was the
1: Walmart section that was sold up. The possi- out parcels were clear.
0: Is there any possibility that they will be able to... Um, put overflow parking over at the Oxford Commons Shopping Center and bus people <laughs> bus from people the old over. Walmart to well, the
1: new Walmart? Barry, the people at Oxford Commons would like a bus to get to Walmart because one of the challenges here, and I don't know how the data meeting this month came out, but uh, there's no data bus service serving this area. there have been pleas from some citizens to council to fund it, but apparently dollars haven't been available. And and uh, when, when they have talked about it, they've
0: talked about eliminating some other spurs, on some routes that people do need to get to work and I'm sure that um, for a number of people who want to work at Walmart public transportation would be uh, a necessity getting to and and from work and building a shopping center Uh, and when we talk about sprawl I think this is exactly what we're talking about that is so far away from everything else that you absolutely (laughs) have to have a motor vehicle uh, to get there Um, well if you don't have a car and you want to get a job yeah. so that you can earn enough money to get a car uh, and Walmart is hiring how do you get there you know you certainly don't walk there from uh, almost anywhere in, uh, in town
1: well this was also something that, that added development pressures to uh, you know the redevelopment of the, the starlight drive-in you know after, after the passing a couple of years ago of its owner uh, certainly there was more commercial value in that um, in terms of, of what would be uh, what would be happening with uh, uh, what would be happening with um, putting houses on the site than anything else. So, certainly some questions there. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that was really interesting a couple of years ago, I think Jim Wise in the, in the Durham News did a feature on this Edna and Lucky's Hideaway, a little uh, little biker bar type place over uh, on, off Glen School Road before the Walmart development started. Because I guess it's, the, it's, the, it's part of the unincorporated but not a you know community of Gorman, I think, is, is that part okay. of Durham County? Okay. I've, I've been to Gorman, I'm not
0: sure if I've noticed the hideaway before
1: so the hideaway doesn't really hide it's right off glenn school right um they've got a little fence post out front with a confederate flag hanging on it i mean we're talking old south i I know the place so i I wish i'd stopped and taken a picture because from the from the 85 view you've got their place their their confederate flag kind of drooping two commercial property for sale signs in front of their business and then off in the distance the brand new walmart and people out mowing the grass for opening day uh getting ready for for the for the big picture it's you know it's it's one of these it's the new south Yes, the New South is bulldozing the Old South, and the Old South mer- moves further out.
0: Well, we were talking um, about what uh, impact um, the new Walmart might have on uh, existing retail in the region, both Northgate and perhaps Briar Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Briar Creek is, uh, is a relatively new um, shopping development, I believe, on the Wake County side, off of uh, off of US seventy between yep. Durham and, uh, and and Wake County, and it is absolutely huge. I don't know how often you go there, but I get lost there at least once every six months
1: or so. Yeah, you know, when we first moved I to know. Durham, we went there more often until we got sick of the traffic. Um, and you know, for all the projections of sales tax going down next year. Just based on the sheer number of people here and people who I've seen... You mean
0: revenues of sales tax, not for the actual rate of
1: sales tax? No, right, Durham, right, exactly, a collection of sales tax. For all the projections that show this decline in sales tax for next year, you have to wonder if those factor in something like a supercenter opening up within the county borders, and people, because there are a lot of people in the eastern part of the county who do a lot of shopping there. Will they switch their their purchases into Durham? On the flip side, as we were talking about, I I think Northgate, North Point, a lot of the developed centers on 85... Uh, are going to be, be facing some some uh, some more challenges right. with, uh, with a, uh, a retail uh, center like this opening up
0: all right all right well we 'll see how that plays out i 'm going to bring our guest to the microphone in a second. I did want to talk very, very briefly. Um, about something that uh, that appeared in the news this week, and uh, I, I wrote about it on my blog. Um, there was an email circulating, um, an article in the print edition of the Herald Sun, and I guess it was online uh, at the Jacksonville Daily News, jdnews.com, um, about the city of Jacksonville, North Carolina, um, beginning to crack down on uh, on what's called, I guess, uh, crosswalk intrusion, crosswalk encroachment, um, and actually doing stings at intersections where they have uh, plainclothes policemen walking across. Across the street cars not yielding to them and then unmarked police officers down the road writing tickets for those things and there was a discussion um, on the Durham bike and ped uh, list about seeing uh, if we could write to uh, chief Jose Lopez and see uh, if uh, if a program like that could be started
1: in Durham so if <gasps> Barry, like- I, I have this picture of you if you ever seen the South Park episode Walking out of your car, you know your unmarked car, saying "Respect my authority." I'm, I just, I'm, I could picture this as your dream the, job. The, no, the,
0: pic, the picture of me is is Dustin Hoffman, Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> I'm walking here, so that that would be that would be my ideal dream job. Would be actually the pedestrian. <laughs> You know, ah. um, um, doing that. Where but, do anyways, um, um, uh, the chief's email is Jose Lopez L O P E Z at durhamnc.gov. If this is something that um, that you uh, that you think uh, needs uh, needs needs some doing, <clears throat> in, uh, although Dur- as
1: uh, as I think we learned with uh, with City Manager Bonfield here a few weeks ago, and we talked about lifestyle crimes, I, it, it was not a priority. It seemed. In terms of, of getting into these kind of neighborhood issues, which is not to say don't write Chief Lopez, maybe you need to let council and, and the city manager know as well. Council. At
0: durhamnc.gov gets all seven members of uh, of city council copied on uh, on your email. I think five or six hundred emails in uh, Jose Lopez's inbox might uh, cause him to think about uh, whether this is important enough for the rest of Durham. All right, I want to bring um, um, Kevin McGill to the microphone. Kevin is um, uh, you're one of the founders, I guess, of uh, Bikes for the World in Durham. In, in Durham. Yeah, and, and this is a pretty neat program. Why don't you um, give us a brief overview of what Bikes for the World is, what it does, and uh, and what's going on in town.
2: Sorry. Thanks for having me. So Bikes for the World is actually a D.C.-based organization. Um, we collect used bicycles in the United States and send them to developing nations for use by healthcare care workers, um, parents, <coughs> students, uh, pretty much anybody who needs a bicycle for transportation, which is way more critical I think, in the developing world than it is in the United States. Um, I actually i am not one of the founders of Bikes for the World by any means, but uh, we did have the first um, major Bikes for the World collection in the Triangle region, Triangle-wide, last year. And uh, I was one of 17 volunteers to help pull that off. All
0: right. So people who are interested in, uh, people who have extra bicycles around, or I, I guess you collect bicycle parts as well and, and turn them into um, into usable. Um, two-wheeled contraptions. Uh, Where's the collection point this year? What's the date for the collection? And how do people find out more information about this?
2: So the collection is last Saturday of the month, uh, June 27th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's in RTP, so we picked a central location that's easy for anyone in the triangle (coughs) to get to. It's on 54 between 55 and Alston. Uh, The actual address is Headquarters Park, 2224 East Highway 54, and again, it's between uh, 55 and Austin. Is, is that the same location as last year? Yes. If you came last year, it's the same location. It's uh, Family Health International's. Uh, they've basically donated their parking lot for us to, to come to. So if you know where that is or uh, Sal's Pizza, it's across the street from Sal's Pizza.
1: What are you all's uh, goals for collection this year?
2: Well, last year, uh, we didn't quite know where to set our goals because it was the first time we'd done it. Uh, but we actually way exceeded our expectations and brought in... Uh, 315 bikes and over three thousand dollars last year and it was a rainy, cold, nasty day in March. Uh, so we're hoping to get a nice warm day in, in so, June. This so, year. so
0: you decided to, to skip directly from March into June this right, year, right. leaving
2: April and May. Yeah behind. We, we had some okay. other priorities. but uh, <laughs> this year I, we'd love to get the same number or more, but you know we'll be happy with with 100, 200 you know, any number any number is good.
0: Is, is there a particular destination um, for these bikes? Are there particular countries that are um, participating in the program, or is it just kind of ad-hoc that uh, you said? Now, we,
2: we have uh, 10 or more, I'm not sure the exact number right now, countries that we partner with, and in those countries, there will be more than one uh, partner or location that we drop to. Last year, our bikes went to Ghana and Costa Rica. Um, just to give you an idea of kind of how the Bikes for the World model works, One of the things we're working on right now is trying to set up a partnership with V-Day. And V-Day is a global movement to end violence against uh, women and girls started by Eve Ensler. They have a safe house in Kenya for Hmm. women and girls who have refused genital mutilation and are now basically ostracized from their family. So we're trying to set up um, basically a micro-business enterprise Hmm. where Bikes for the World will send them container shipments of bikes, they will repair them, uh, swap out parts, have transportation for themselves, have a self-run business, and then provide transportation to locals at local prices. And the goal is not to just um, just be charity and just give it to them. Uh, it, we want a self-sustaining operation. So we'll give them the first shipment free, and then after that, the expectation is that they earn enough money to pay for the shipments <coughs> for subsequent bikes because it's it's quite expensive to ship uh, bikes overseas. Nice. Uh, so the bikes become donated, but you know the business pays to get them over there.
0: There's there's a number of organizations that um, that use that model, and I think that people have found that it, um, in, in the long term, is more more successful and sustainable than than just charity. Um, when you give somebody something, well, then what's the value that they associate with it? But when you know when folks have to um, earn. Um, the things that they're receiving, even if it's a small, and Kevin's laughing because he knows he knows. Happy the reference. Father's Day, Barry. <laughs> he knows he knows the reference. He knows the reference here, and some of you who know me uh, in 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 the real world also know the reference that uh, that that I'm making. But um, it it does become uh, um, more more valuable to the person who is uh, who is participating um, in in the program. Is there um, a website or a phone number for uh, people to contact if they need more information? If they hear this on the radio while they're driving, they don't have a chance to figure out where the address was, where can they go when they get home?
2: Sure. You can go to bikesfortheworld.org, and there's a collection schedule. You can click on that. Um, Since it's a D.C.-based organization, you will see a lot of D.C. and Maryland area collections, but if you scroll through, look for the Durham one, it'll be the only one in Durham or RTP. Um, You can also call a local number, 688- 9347, -9347. 688-9347, and you'll probably get an answer machine, but we can give you a call back and try to answer your questions. Uh, So one more time, I'm just going to plug the the details, it's uh, Saturday, June 27th from 10am to 2pm, Headquarters Park, 2224 East Highway 54 in RTP, it's on 54 between 55 and Austin, and one thing I didn't mention before (coughs) is that we suggest a $10 donation with each bike to help defray the shipping costs. Uh, Bikes for the World is completely uh, non-profit based on donations uh, and so there's not much uh, funding from Bikes for the World itself to get the bikes over. So Mm. we we request that people bring $10 with each bike, um, which we think is is very reasonable.
1: Now now if someone bikes over to the event (laughs) and drops off their bike, can they get a car ride back?
2: We could probably arrange that. We're (laughs) we're hoping we'll probably have a variety of uh, uh, volunteers, many have actually come from the the Durham and rtp bike pad listservs to, to nice. help us. So we got a lot of friendly people. We can find someone to give you a ride home.
0: Is there um, any limitation on the condition of the bikes that um, that people can donate? I mean, y- you obviously don't want bent frames that are not right. going to be repairable. But if you've got a bike that's been sitting in the backyard for the last three or four years with without a chain or without brakes, is that something that that would make sense for you guys?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, in general, we'll take nearly any bike, uh, but our, our general rule of thumb is the parts need to move. Um, it can have no tires or, or torn tires, uh, rusty chain, no chain, bad components, but if the handlebars turn, the cranks turn, and the wheels turn, and you know, obviously it's not severely bent up, we'll take it. Um, once it gets to it, it, our partner organizations overseas, they'll swap out components, change wheel sets, put on new chains, and get them into, into working order. All right. And if people have, um, have spare parts Yep, we'll take spare parts And uh, if you have no bikes and are interested in the cause uh, We'll take donations as well Cash donations So um,
0: Money's always good Right. Yeah. So
2: if you're interested in doing any of those Or have questions um, Probably the best thing is to give us a call At 688-9347 Which is a local 919 number
1: It, it sounds like a great cause, Kevin We're, we're glad to help you, uh, help you get the word out And we wish you all the best with, uh, with the collection this year
2: Great, thanks for having me on Right,
0: and uh, once again, that is a week from Saturday—not this coming Saturday, correct. but uh, a week from Saturday, June twentieth. And uh, bikes oh, for the June twenty-seventh. You're correct. Bikesfortheworld. Org for uh, for more information. Thanks for coming by,
1: Kevin. So, Barry, one one uh, other story of note, since we're both baseball fans, coming up for this coming Monday. I don't know if you've heard the the word yet, David Price. No. If I if I told you Casimir versus Buckholes, what would you think?
0: Uh, Scott Casimir and Clay Buckhols
1: It's no but it's not a Rays Red uh Ray's Red Sox oh, game Oh cuz
0: they're both doing AAA rehab assignments
1: Well I, th- I think Clay's has been a little more uh, elongated than Casmier's uh, A Casimir's little more like been. go
0: back and get your curveball son
1: Yeah one of those uh-huh. and
0: when when uh, when is when is
1: this game Monday night at the d if you want uh-huh. to see some you know it's usually you know, major league quality experience at minor league prices but with minor league baseball uh, it'll be a little more major league when it comes to the pitching this week.
0: Well, I got to tell you, it gives me a chance to push my idea one more time. Yeah, and and that is that is throwback nights at the DBAP. And you know, you know, I mean, when I when I moved here, I moved here in 1993. So I caught the last season at the old DAP, and then I caught the second annual final season at uh, at the dap um when the dbap was not open and then when uh, the durham bulls were playing um at the new ballpark as a single a franchise of the uh, of the atlanta braves uh you know i was a, 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 a not a season ticket holder but i had one of those packages where i went to like 14 games a year and i found over the past couple of years that i just go to fewer and fewer games and i think it's because the game has become uh, the 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 experience of being at the ballpark has become more and more of a spectacle that is less and less involved with the game. It's all about the sounds, it's all about the flashing lights, the fireworks, the music between every pitcher,
1: well, every well, bat. and, and back you know, when you went Barry, you could go on Royd night and just get, you know, jacked up back in the back in the bad old days.
0: <laughs> you know, when, when 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 I was going to baseball back, you know, back when Ty Cobb was playing Right, they didn't have microphones, <laughs> <laughs> but
1: but, no, but they but, did. They but, did for Lou Gehrig, though, just not very good echo um, canceling.
0: Uh, that, that that is such a wonderful. That is such a wonderful speech. But but uh, you know, one one night out of every other home stand, make it a Monday or a Tuesday night at the at the DBAP, without music between every pitch or every or every inning. When the other team brings a relief pitcher into the into the middle of the game, one of the best things that I that I can remember seeing at a ball game was the crowd. <laughs> Spontaneously doing the whoop whoop chant during the warm-up pitches—I'd never seen that anywhere else—and we that's gone. Well,
1: Barry, you know? we're always supposed that. to make noise when the screen tells us to make noise, right?
0: Right, right. And wouldn't it be something to have people spontaneously figure out when they're supposed to make noise at a ball game again? I would pay money for that, and you know, I hope uh, I hope that the Goodmans are listening because. That will get me back to the ballpark a lot more often than uh, than I go now.
1: Well, I'm sure the Goodmans have many better things to do and are probably not listening. But, you know, but they, the
0: I... The podcast is available. They could listen at their that, own convenience. That's true. And that's uh, iTunes.com slash uh, or colon shooting the bull. And you can find the podcast every week.
1: If that URL works, I'll eat my hat. But... Uh uh, it, it, one, other, one other thought on, on the subject. Uh, yeah, I've, I've threatened every now and then to throw like a, like a BCR night on one of the, uh, one of the uh, home run patios. If we do, Barry, we'll have to get that group to make the whoop-woo. Maybe we can retrain the, the ballpark. Uh-huh.
0: I, I, can, I can lead that chant.
1: Very good. Well, folks, thanks for listening to, to Shooting the Bull this week on uh, WXDU Durham 88.7 FM. I'm Kevin Davis. I write at bullcityrising.com.
0: I'm Barry Reagan. I write at dependableerection.blogspot.com. We will talk to you next week, folks.
1: Have a good night, folks.